If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and today's a special episode we're going to do a little bit of an interview today with uh, a, a guest that we've never spoken to before ellie honig is going to join our show he's a, a cnn legal analyst and i mean like this guy's credentials <laughs> it's incredible what he's done he graduated from harvard law he was the assistant attorney general of new jersey from 2012 to 2018 and he is a massively passionate Pearl Jam fan, especially the old school stuff. And it was a fantastic conversation. Let's introduce ourselves though. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrer over there. Hello. And John, uh, yeah, this is going to be a really great conversation that we have with him. I, I can't wait to show everybody. He's He's got he's got a lot of feelings for this band. Absolutely. And he yeah, talked a lot about the early years and it's, yeah, it, it, it hit, you know, it hit for me so many things from back in the day too, because, you know, he's a little older than me, but we we were in some of the same things. He had some of those same, we always talk about those touchstones that we all share, you know, from those, from those early days. And yeah, he definitely had some of those, but yeah, this, it just goes to show like you, you never know, like you get these people and you know, Pearl Jam fans come in all shapes and sizes. So he's a, he's a great example of that. Yeah, it's 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 a good walk down memory lane. And like I said, he's a very early Pearl Jam fan. So like this stuff, he's getting back into this stuff and he did a wish list for Pearl Jam Radio recently. So like great to talk to him. And and really, how else are you going to start a conversation with somebody about Pearl Jam that you don't know anything about what their relationship with Pearl Jam is? And you just got to start from the start. So how did he find out about them? How did he first get into them? Well, here's his answer. So let me ask you guys the first question. Okay. <laughs> what would be the perfect year that a human being could be born where Pearl Jam, thinking about their timeline, would hit you the hardest? Like the, the most direct impact. What year would you be born? I would say probably you would have to be like a 13 or 14 year old in 1991, 92. So, what John, what do you say? So, so yeah, I, I was born in 1978. And I was, it hit me pretty hard. So I'm going to go with that. I'm 75, 1975. And I can tell you firsthand, I'm 46. So um, <laughs> thanks. But, but listen, they hit when I was 16 years old, right? And I have a, a, a very clear memory of seeing 10 on display in Sam Goody. You guys remember, you know, Sam Goody, right? Oh, yeah. Record store in the mall, Cherry Hill Mall. Uh, actually, Sorry, correction, fact check, Echelon Mall in New Jersey. This is important to New Jersey people, which mall? <laughs> but I remember going into Sam Goody. And, and just to give you my mind frame at this point, I was not a metal head. I love Guns N' Roses, but I, I thought Motley Crue and that stuff was stupid. And I just want and and, you know, Nirvana had already hit. But my thing at this time was hip hop. I was a hip hop. I mean, I was, you know, Tribe Called Quest, LL, Run DMC public enemy, all that. And I remember seeing their album cover on display in Sam Goody. And I knew what Nirvana was, but I remember thinking like, what is that? Right? Because, you know, it could have been anything. If you think about it, try to put yourself back in that mindset. You don't know this band. 
and, and they have this purple cover and they're only sort of in silhouette, right? So you can't really see their faces. You can't even really tell like, are they white? Are they black? What are they? And they're wearing these clothes that are almost hip hop-ish, right? Because all the baggy and the hats and everything. Sure. And I was like, is this like a, you know, like a punk metal band? Like, I mean, Limp Biscuit didn't arrive yet, but I was like, you know, is that is this like a group that does like rap and metal or like, what is this? And I wasn't all that interested. Um, I mean, by this point, Smells Like Teen Spirit had exploded. And I kind of at some point realized that they fell sort of in that bucket, although we can talk Pearl Jam versus Nirvana later. I have pretty strong feelings there um, in Pearl Jam's favor. But, you know, their first song that I really remember being aware of, it was Jeremy, which to this day, I don't like. I don't I don't like that song. It's one of the only songs I just skip. I'm just not interested. Maybe this is forgive me if this is blasphemy to, to Pearl Jam, you know, connoisseurs like yourself. I, I think we've heard it from both directions. Okay. And, and Jeremy was, you know, the, I think their only video video on MTV, right? They did their concert performances where Eddie's climbing the rafters and sure. stuff, but I think their only sort of, you know, uh, artistic video was, was, um, was Jeremy. And I just was like, eh, doesn't do it for me. I graduate high school. I get to college at Rutgers uh, in, in Jersey freshman year, mid 93. And it's just like, Bam, just completely in love with it. Everyone on my floor was into it. It clicked so hard with me. It was like, I'm not like, I think it's like when, when someone tries a drug for the first time and is like, oh my God. And realized sort of the brilliance of 10, I guess a little belatedly and not, and you know, what was so fun about digging into 10, what was so sort of intoxicating was, you know, you, I knew Jeremy, I knew Black, I knew, you know, I knew uh, 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 Even Flow and that kind of thing. But finding songs like, like Porch and Oceans and going like, oh my goodness, like that's like, you wouldn't hear that on the radio, right? right. And then Verses came out a month into my freshman year. And again, we can kick this around, but I think oh, everybody's is, got a good versus story. So go right ahead. Right. But to, no, I was going to say like, which is better. I mean, I think there's a case depending on the day I can say, I mean, versus is so stacked. It's so good. And from then on, it was just, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't claim to the quite the level of expertise and fandom as you guys nowhere near that, but you know, they just, I had them forever and I, I was never going to let go. And you know, then Vitology came out and I'll tell this is my concert story, but Vitology came out my sophomore year and those three albums um, just, I mean, gosh, what a, what a first three. I don't know that any, any band can equal those first three. So that, that that's a sort of how it hit me, but college, man, when I hear this stuff, it brings me right back to college, but also, you know, I think one of the great things about their stuff is, is it carries over the years and it sort of, a lot of the songs change meaning as you, not to get overly sentimental, but as you grow in life. So absolutely. Absolutely. We were actually just talking about that with present tense yeah. like when it came out on no code and people yeah. were kind of souring on no code later on around like 2006 or so when that Letterman performance came out, people, it just, people yes. just had this realization, whoa, okay. I'm a little bit older now. I get this. I understand what this is about. A hundred percent. Or I, I don't know if you, you guys have kids, but like when you have about a kid to. about, Oh, Good. Congratulations. Thank you, John. Kids. Yeah, no? I, I have two little ones. Yeah. OK, so, I mean, you know, a song like Footsteps just just it, ch it just changes. Right. When you have kids and sure. Randy, you'll you'll see this someday soon. <laughs> oh, I already love Footsteps. So that's not too yeah. the, one, the one that I'm anticipating change on is Future Days, because that I never expect I, I, I never really liked. And I was there for the debut of the song. And I'm like, OK, this isn't for me. I'm a I'm a single guy. I'm in my 20s. <laughs> just really not digging it. But now you know, my wife really likes the song yeah. and I'm like, oh, this, the minute the baby's born, I'm like, that's it. it oh, it's going to hit me. I know. It. Listen, but my, my youngest brother is a, a big fan, like you guys level fan. And he has a almost two year old and it's like, you know, it, it's even more meaningful for him now. So I see him going through that too. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So like we, in my, I've noticed like in my forties, I don't, I don't get a lot out of 10 and verses anymore. Like I've kind of, I've oh. gotten what I need out of those records, but stuff like no code and yield and even the later stuff, like some stuff off a of lightning bolt, some stuff of avocado, even in my forties, I can still get new stuff out of that. That those are, those are deep albums. Yeah. That that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Do I get anything new out of verses and 10? Maybe not, but I still, man, <laughs> I still, I still love them though. Nostalgia <laughs> sure. purposes. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I, I can go on a run with with verses especially because verses just have so many powerful tracks in it if you just want a oh. good good record to go drive during the middle of the day like totally. put on verses at full blast and and that's right there perfect I, I mean that 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 album is just you know i was looking back a little bit at, at, the, at the ordering of the songs on the different albums because you know you all i guess are old enough to remember when that mattered right that the, the, the numbering sure. of the songs right i don't I think still kids, consider it a big deal absolutely yeah and, and my kids you know my kids are 15 and 13 like the concept of even i mean it's trite to say this but it's true even the concept of an album, like the idea of album filler, the idea of having things beyond the top 40 hits is like not a thing. And then the importance of ordering. And I want to I, I want to run something by you guys because you guys are, I want to get your opinion on something. But um, let me set it up, if I can, with my my first concert story. Sure. Please. Okay. Do. So. It is spring break for me of my sophomore year in college, and I am right in the just absolute throes of fandom. Vitology has just come out. I think, yes, Vitology has just come out. It is end of 94, let's say December of 94. I'm home, I'm bored, I'm with my parents, it's snowing, it's Jersey, all this. And I hear on radio, terrestrial radio, and I'm not talking Sirius XM, I'm talking probably like 94 YSP or something, an ad that Pearl Jam is going to be playing two concerts in DC at Constitution Hall. And this is right when Pearl Jam was like, mixing it up with Ticketmaster, right? right? And and the internet barely existed at this point. And you had to send in postcards to a certain address and they said, we'll be picking winners. So I'm like, let's do this. And I drive to the post office. This is This feels all so old fashioned now. And I bought 50 postcards and 50, whatever they are, 14 cent stamps. And I wrote out 50 times, like I didn't have the, technology to you know print out labels or anything wrote out 50 times whatever the p.o box was and just sent them in and like a week or two later i went actually i don't know how i remember this but to a sixers game and i came home and my mom said you got some call something with tickets or something and i was like oh what oh, oh what? did you did you and she said yeah i wrote it down so i called back and i can't unfortunately i can't remember the exact procedure, but it was Byzantine to get tickets. So basically someone said, you want two tickets. You can buy two, not any more than two, not any less than two. Immediately called my college roommate who, who just, you know, I just talked to the other day. We did a little bit of reminiscing and you had to like, we went down to DC. I don't even believe there were paper ticket stubs because I'm pretty sure I would have saved it, but your name got on a list and you had to like verify it. It was like this you saw why ultimately their fight against Ticketmaster was an uphill struggle because they 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 kind of tried to come up with their own system. But I, the tickets I think were like, if I remember right, like thirty bucks, like dirt cheap. I mean, and this is the band at the arguably the height of their powers. I mean, picture Absolutely. this is months after Vitology has come out, right? Yep. And Constitution Hall is not a big venue. Have you all either either of you guys been there? No, but seeing no. Uh, I think the '98 show is on YouTube, and I watched that before. So yeah, you can so, see how yeah. small it is. Like I found clips of, or so, maybe. Yeah, I found clips of the show. I was. It's funny because it's it's before you you know it was really, um, you know, an offense to video record anything, and nobody had phones. You couldn't just sort of you know discreetly hold up your phone. But some dude must have had like a little handheld. But you can see him putting it up. And then sneaking it down, and then you see the, the the back of the guy in front of him, and then up, and then it's really annoying. But, um, but Constitution Hall, I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm sure you could Google it, but I'm guessing three thousand seats, maybe two thousand. And it's sure it's this right. beautiful indoor. Um, I think I don't know. It seems like it was built as a theater or like an orchestra hall or something. Right, right in the heart of DC. I ended up living in DC for three years, right by the White House, and I mean the acoustics were insane. And it was this limited show. I just remember, and this is this is wh wh where I want to get to. They opened, of course, with release, right? And I know release has sort of become like the Ricky Henderson of Pearl Jam, like the obvious leadoff hitter, right? To talk, you know, baseball with of you course. guys. But the thing is, if you put, if you go back to that mindset, I remember, and by the way, this is before you could Google, like, show me every set list from Pearl Jam. Like, that didn't exist. So you were like, what are they going to open with? There were bootlegs out there in certain record stores, but you had no idea. And I remember being, like, shocked by that because release is the last track, I believe, on 10. 
I think it's Correct. The, the 11th the track. 11th, on, right. So I always thought of it as a, as a closer, right? Like a Mariano Rivera or whatever, mixing my batting and pitching metaphors here. But I always thought of it as a closer and it struck me as such an unusual opener. So let me ask you guys this. Roughly what percent, and I've heard you guys talk about there's release shows and there's go shows. Is go the other goes the other one, right? Uh there's I mean, there's tons. There's oceans, okay. there's wash, there's the, the, the opener sets the mood. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. but like what percent of Pearl Jam shows have opened with release? Is it like 50%? No, no, ten to fifteen percent. Release oh, okay. is only release has been played less than two hundred times, I believe. Is that uh, right? One seventy-two. Oh, okay. And that's wow. not discount. That's, you know, 91 shows, uh, it's shows in 1990 and 91 where there's no set list known. That's not counting that, but gotcha. gotcha. Um, but there's about a thousand shows that we know of. So about 17%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually, yeah. yeah. So I, I thought it was way more than that. However, um, this is interesting because every time that they played this, the song from, I believe maybe that show, I'm just double checking the numbers on this. Uh, but it, they they always played it in a big moment, so it seems yes. like it gets played early more uh, than you, more than it actually has. Every gotcha. time it was played from late '93 up until 2008, it was used as an opener. So okay, interesting. So that's probably why I have that perception. But my question for you guys is: Is release a good opener? Because it's if you think about it, it's it's a not a typical opener, right? I always think of an opener like something with a very recognizable lick, right? Like welcome to the jungle or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and it's, it's this slow hymnal build to it. Um, what, I think it's a brilliant opener, but, but I'm, I'm thinking, would it be better placed somewhere else? I don't think so. I think it's a perfect, I think it's unorthodox, but having been there for, I think both, you know, both of the, the, the I've only been to two live shows, I'll tell you guys, by the way. Both live shows I've been at, they open with a release and it was like, perfect. Like I never would, I think if I was doing their set list, I would have never said open with that. Sure. What do you guys think? Well, if my first show, I got released as well. And I kind of headed into that thinking, okay, this is around the time that Avocado is out and every other band that I know will take their newest album and play the right. song from their newest album. So I thought that they were going to open the show with Life Wasted because it's a big arena rock kind of anthem. Yep. And I was just kind of expecting that. So when release comes out and it, and I loved release at the time, even for being like 20, 21 years old, however old I was when I, yeah. when I saw them, uh, it felt like a religious experience being there, <laughs> especially at Madison Square Garden, in oh. seeing the entire crowd kind of hum along, like you mentioned, and um, it eased you into the show. And then I think the next song was probably Corduroy. And then <laughs> once you hear the opening uh, sound of Corduroy, you're, you start jumping around, you get really excited, you get really yeah. energetic. So yeah, I, I think... And honestly, release was used from day one as their opener. Like that's a thing that they've been doing since 1990. Right. It's it's different and no other bands really do it this way. I ha- I haven't found a lot of bands that have, you know, followed this procedure. But yes, yeah. I, I think that it is an incredible opener. And, uh, you know, a- along with the other slow burn openers that they had, like I mentioned, Oceans and Wash and Of The Girl and, and Pendulum and a couple other of those. I, I like how they do that. And I think it just kind of sucks you in in a different way. Yeah. It, it, John, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think like it took me until Wrigley 2016 to see it. I think my eighth or ninth show mm-hmm. and I'd been chasing it for a long time. Like I always <laughs> wanted to hear it, but I think like, like I said, it they use it at these big moment shows to set a mood and like, it kind of sets the mood like, okay, tonight's going to be special. It's going to be a long show. Just settle in. We're going to be yeah. here for a while. That's all just, we're all in there. We're taking this ride together. I think that that that's when they, that's when they use it. And that's when it's most effective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you know, both times when I saw it, it's just, it, it it also has this this build and this payoff too because it really right it, it really does um my dad who is not you know of this era um he grew up with you know in the 60s and 70s springsteen hendrix all that um my brother played release for my dad he just said i want you to hear this and my dad said that sounds like a religious song and we said yeah kind of right with the, with the uh 
you know, the, the beginning almost sounds like the, uh, do you remember that album that got hot in the nineties? Like it was like the monks of the, whatever. The, Gr- the Gregorian chants. And all <laughs> right, that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it has a little bit of a Gregor- Gregorian chant feel, but then it, uh, then it just, you know, it blows up and, and they, I don't know about the, the times you guys saw it, but they almost opened the show like behind a screen or a scrim or something. And it was, sort of in my memory, it was sort of like a purplish reddish, almost like the cover of 10 mm-hmm. cover. And then as the song built, the lights came up. And then when they hit that big, you know, where it takes me, it just boom. And the lights went up and it just, the, the screen came up or they came out from it or something. And it was just like, here we go.
that's it. very but... interesting because that is not something like the stage setups and kind of like the theatrics like a band yeah. that that you two would do right it's never really been them they usually had like very generic backdrop yep. you know lightning bolt era they've had the orbs that have come down but nothing uh -huh. spectacular in that fashion of like hey when this part of the song hits the curtain opens up. oh yeah a hundred percent i mean the, the the whole stage slowly as the song builds it became lighter and lighter right they all i think they even started playing in dark if i remember right and then it just Built, mm -hmm. and it was and and there was that moment where they emerged or the thing came up so that that's interesting i didn't realize that was sort of so un but you're right now that i think of it it's pretty unusual for them but such a cool moment too to like to have when you know the lights go down and all you hear is that oh. that guitar riff and the voice and you're like yeah that that's that's a cool moment <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean i don't know I, I don't remember that many concert moments like so clearly but i remember that one really and that this was one that was just like dream come true you know the top band for for me at the time at right at the peak you know i had to go through this procedure like it's easier to file your tax returns than it was to win these tickets and uh in dc in this place oh my gosh it was just uh it was just utterly incredible eddie did not climb anything unfortunately i think they probably told i think he would you know he would can i tell you something that I, I i have an observation about the band please do yeah they are to me the secretly most athletic band that you will ever see, because if you watch the documentaries and all that, okay, Eddie, those, those climbing routines, that was not like soft BS. That wasn't just for show. Like he was doing crazy stuff. He's hanging by one arm. He could literally have died. And then you show, you know, they show like, amen, looks like he's pretty good on the basketball court. Obviously they're all in, interested in basketball. Eddie's a he baseball played college ball. Yeah. yeah did Montana. amen play college ball? Yep, he did. Montana. For who? Montana, I believe. Oh, oh, well, that makes Maybe sense. Maybe it was like Montana <laughs> community. I, I, He went to Montana. I know that, but. Right. Yeah, just not just sure. for one year, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so my question is like, is there any band that could beat them just in pickup? Let's say like, I know, you know, like five on five or four hmm. on four. Oh, boy. <laughs> they would uh... imagine what they would do to you too. <laughs> God, the, the mean, Beastie Boys maybe back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, okay. I guess we could think about the Beastie Boys. Um, I don't know. That, I that... know that there's like one other that's on the tip of on the tip of my mind here, and I'm not thinking of it. But Ed, Ed, like me later. Eddie has to be the most athletic front man, right? I mean, who are you gonna it's put? Probably, yeah. It's Axel not something Rose. I ever thought about before. Yeah, no, like most <laughs> Robert Plant. I mean, come on. And you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned this because I never really thought of it in that manner that a lead singer, a front man, had to have this kind of stamina to do like a two plus uh, yeah. two three hour show. And one of the things that made me realize that actually there were two things. One was before Rage Against the Machine was supposed to go on tour this year, there was. Uh, a video somewhere of Zach De La Roca doing like CrossFit. Oh, okay. Yeah. He said that that was his preparation for the tour and getting ready. And, you know, he's in his fifties now, however old he is. And he hasn't been very active on the live stage for a long time. So that makes total sense. Yeah. In an interview with Ed at one point, he actually mentioned that this was something that he, he got from Chris Chelios, but to huh. get stamina and endurance he put a stationary bike in a sauna. So he, wow. yeah, so right. So he can work off the sweat. Right, right, right. Wow. I mean, and if you think about, especially when they were younger, I mean, the, the effort he put forth, I mean, even just to speak for two hours, just to give a two hour presentation is grueling, right? Right. I, mean, I do, you know, I, not that it's grueling, but I do TV and it's like, you know, if you're on for a half hour, an hour, like, it's intense, right? Because you're focused and it's live and, you know, but physically, I mean, the stuff he used to do, I mean, you know, it's not mandatory that you climb the, you know, climb the scaffolding and jump into the crowd. That, that stuff is crazy. I'll tell you another one who's like that is Springsteen, right? Because he gives these epic, you know, three he's hour, three and a half. Stage, right. And he stays in great shape. You can see it. And he's, you know, I know people you like used to like lift at the gym with him in, in Jersey, but yeah, it really is. You can't, you can't just let yourself go, go to crap. Um, yeah, that was a, uh... We, we saw Counting Crows a couple of years back and I didn't really have, like, I'm not a huge fan of theirs or anything like that, but I yeah. didn't have big expectations, but yeah. I didn't expect Adam Duritz to be like 40 or 50 pounds more than he was in the nineties <laughs> and walking around the stage, like kind of a, 
a sad sap and yeah. you know kind of kicking his feet he he really was kind of a petulant child looking and and we Ugh. left the show early something i almost never do because he was just it was not entertaining at all yeah yeah well look i i think i think pearl jam will be will still be around for a long time um i mean why not right they seem to be in a good place mentally certainly money's no issue for them it's got and- a lot of cigarettes i don't know if he i don't know if he's fully <laughs> quit but that's the uh, one thing really worries me is just is the smoking but they they also as i think john said or maybe both of you said i mean they've really evolved they've changed and you know they're not going to be look you probably don't want to i mean in concert you do but it would be kind of weird if they came out with a you know a, a banger like porch or rearview mirror you know Every when now they're and again 60 it'll happen <laughs> you think it'll happen well yeah I, I, sometimes and maybe not in this era but yeah. in like 2006 they would randomly bust out alive to open a show with they would randomly bust out porch or ruby Mirror, right saying it's it's happened before it's once on a blue moon but like those shows do pop in every now and again oh no 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 i'm saying they can absolutely still play those songs i'm saying like no a as, new song. as the open w- sorry what were you saying in other words, if they came out with an al- a new album in 2024, okay. are they going to have the equivalent of a song that just, th- you know, thrashes like one of those songs, like yeah. a new one? Well, I mean, at, at, one, at one point, do you want to see a bunch of 60 year olds playing Rearview Mirror? Exactly. Like it, just, well, I want to see let, them. I want to see them play Rearview yeah. Mirror forever, but I don't want to see them try to do Rearview Mirror, the version of that that would come out five years yeah, ago. Right. Yeah. They're very smart about, like you said, evolving and changing their style up and, and knowing what's working for them at the time. Because, yeah. like, you think of a song that's brand new, like Quick Escape, like that could have that kind of same vibe as one of those songs we were mentioning because it's it's extremely fast it's got and some electricity to it like Mm -hmm. uh so they have some of that but then again they'll kind of retreat and they'll do some songs like retrograde and river cross that are more uh kind of in their more adult wheelhouse so there's a little bit of they they open they they make enough room where there's they, they can kind of deal in their wheelhouse a little bit more so you know i yeah. I, while I don't think they'll ever write a song like Porch again, um, I, I, I think, I don't know. I, I, they might open with it at one point. Like that's, they're full of surprises. So I oh. would not be surprised if that happened. Um, that would be, that would be a great opener. That would be an aggressive opener. I like that. They, um, and I will give them this. I've never once heard a Pearl Jam song on like an adult contemporary or like easy listening station. And it's kind of, now that you, you get old, if you, if you ever, you know, come, listen to a station like that or on Sirius XM, you'll hear Bon Jovi, you'll hear Aerosmith. And sure. you're like, oh, God, they're like, this is not how I pictured these guys. But I've never once heard Pearl Jam on a station like that. I heard Better Man at the grocery store. Oh, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. Better Man is the one. Yeah. Listen, or maybe Last Kiss. I've never okay. heard Last Kiss anywhere. Yeah, else. Better Man. All right. That, that's a, That's a fair point. You uh, so you went to one of two shows and I think the other show that you went to was Randall's Island, right? Randall's Island, which I believe, given the reaction of the guys at the Sirius XM station is like a legendary show, right? Oh, absolutely is. So were you at the first night or the second? No, I was at day two. OK, so, that's the one. Yeah. So they um, it's funny because. I don't know if you know any of the guys over at Sirius XM, but I did the wish list for them. I just did a wish list like two. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I worked so hard on it. (laughs) Oh, it's yeah. I I had to stew about it for a year. John did it last year. And after John did it, I thought. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I thought about it every day and I'm like, nope, that won't work. That won't work. I got (laughs) it. I got to tell a story, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I got to find yours. You guys have to send me clips to yours later. Oh, I but, have it. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Yeah. But I was like, you know, sure. these, these guys are unbelievable. I was like, I don't know. It was maybe my mid nineties and it was at Randall's Island. They were like, Oh yeah, that's the whatever day. But, 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 but um, that one was, yeah, I was in college again at Rutgers. This is two or three years later. And we got a bus and I don't know how the hell we got our act together to rent a bus, like a coach bus, and got like 40 or 50 of us up there. And, you know, Randall's Island, just for those of you who don't know the geography of New York City, is sort of in the middle. It's an island, as it may sound. It's basically one island to the west of Rikers Island. Okay, so <laughs> it's not easy to get to. And it's probably as, as the crow flies, it was probably 25 miles from campus. And it probably took us three hours to get there. And, you know, you're pre-drinking. 
and it's it, it's for memory we left like at lunchtime we left like in the middle of the day and then for some reason ended up in a big like aggressive touch football drunken game in the parking lot like you always do too much beforehand right you're too excited and you drink too much and you exert too much energy and then but to me it was like man they are meant to be seen this way because it was muddy like i guess it had poured the night before or something and randall's island is notorious notoriously like anytime that there's any weather conditions it takes almost like a month for it to 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 oh i mean it was it was also like it was a big ugly concrete bowl and it was like a track like a like a high school track like around the perimeter right Mm -hmm. like i don't know if it was a quarter mile or a half mile it was the strangest thing and if you got tired um because it was a long day and a long great show you could just go sit in the stand like there was nobody really in they didn't sell tickets for like the concrete bleachers basically like everyone was standing on the ground i mean there was you know However many people, it was the place was packed and they were right at the height of their powers. But that to me was almost like it was a different show because it was just a raw, grittier show. Right. D.C. was like indoors in this acoustically perfect hall with seats with arms and backs and fold down things. It was almost like going to a, a high end Broadway play or something. And You're then you get trading 20 songs for three hours worth of, of yes. show there. Yes, That's that that was longest a- shows from that era. A long show. I remember a very physical uh, mosh pit. I remember one of my friends got kicked in the face, like someone, you know, went up on the crowd and my friend took a foot just right in the face and, you know, was bleeding. You know, it was fine. It was all right. But um, a very physical, like gritty, just go for it show. And they they did a long one and they were feeling it. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that you'd want to hear. I th- I'm pretty sure they opened with release as well that day. It, it, I, I sounds, think. That sounds right. Yeah. And yeah. that show is known for, I think, an- during Animal, Ed saw somebody that was on the ground and they had to stop oh. for like five minutes. It, yeah. yeah. There's that, a lot that of things coming out of that. rings a bell. I mean, that, you know, that seems to have happened a good amount with, with the Project Crowd. I mean, they had, you know, the horrible experience. Uh, in what was it like Switzerland or something? Where people uh, yeah, Denmark. Yeah, Denmark. Uh, but no, I, I that rings a bell that he uh, that he sort of mixed it up, you know, with the crowd. So let me ask you guys this. I'm curious because I've been listening to your show and I'm, I'm interested in your views. What's your number two band? Like, you know, you have one concert left to see. You can't see Pearl Jam. Who are you seeing? Radiohead. Radiohead. OK. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 all over the place. Like I come from a little bit of a punk background, so I can say bad religion, but also REM is up there too. I ah, guess I'll yeah. I'll say bad religion because I've seen them a ton of times and I, I used to f- kind of follow them in the same way that I follow Pearl Jam. So okay. I, I guess I'll say them. Interesting. Interesting. Um, What's yours? Would, I mean, mine would be Springsteen. That's kind of default for Jersey guys, but, but <laughs> you know, it, if not them, and, and I'll, this will probably like kill my credibility. I do love you too. I have to say. Um, I think they're, you know, they're a group I love, but I'll tell you the, my, my sort of Pearl Jam era. And I know all these bands are not interchangeable. The two that I've seen live, I saw Smashing Pumpkins recently, like a year, you know, two years ago. Yeah. And um, what'd you think? (laughs) It was was okay. It was exactly what I expected, but was it the one where they were playing the hits? Yeah. was playing the hits. That's the thing. Mostly. You know, it's not it's not special anymore. Like I went and I think it was like, I saw them at Jones beach and I think it was like the third night on the tour and I'm notorious where I can't help myself. I'll go and look at the set list from the prior night. Right. So right. I, I went and looked at the set list. Like, okay. I, I think they opened with, uh, wow, what they Soma or something. Cherub rock or something. Yeah, oh, something maybe, like yeah. that. One yeah. of those. I can't remember. Uh, but I, I, yeah, they played the same exact set list. So yes. I'm sitting there the whole time being like, 100%. Right, we got about uh, 45 minutes left. I just, it just same thing. I just pulled it up my phone. I was like, here we go. <laughs> Here's next. So let, let me tell you about this one experience um, that I had, which which I think is, is, a, is a gem. Now, did have either of you guys seen Pearl Jam or any concert at the old Spectrum in Philly? No, I have not. No. Okay. So Pearl Jam is, is a, a, a band that's perfect for Philly. And I think they have a good relationship with Philly, right? Correct. The ethic is the same and the passion and, and the sort of grittiness. So they always sort of clicked well with Philly. When I was right around this age that I, well, no, before I discovered Pearl Jam. So this would have been like 91. 
this was like the first real concert I ever went to my, my parents. This is like the old days. Gosh, my son is this age now. I, I, like if I did this now, I'd probably be arrested. But me and three friends went to see Van Halen in 91 at the spectrum. And one of our parents just dropped us off outside the spectrum. And then they were like, we'll be back at 11 right here. You know, no cell phones or anything. Um, so we go to see Van Halen and this is the, uh, oh gosh, for unlawful carnal knowledge tour, you know, run around. And right now, I don't know if you guys know or care about Van Halen and they're, they're you know, it's Van Halen. Like I, I get what they are. Um, and I'm 15 or something. Their opening act was this unusual band called Alice in Chains. And mm. no one knew what the hell to make of these guys, because again, it's let's say 91, it's Philly. It's a Van Halen crowd. This is a beer and party band. We want right. to see, you know, we want to get drunk and we want to see Eddie play Eruption and we want to, you know, Panama and hot Panama for teacher, and, yeah. jump and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. The stage yeah. spins when they play run around, it spins around. Right. And then you have this group and it was, you know, Lane Staley must have been, you guys can do the math. I'm 25 years old, 23 years old or something. Yeah. And Dirt probably wasn't even out then. Yeah. I mean, nobody knew who they were. And they were not going to pander to this Philly Van Halen crowd. The Philly crowd turned on them in a way that only a spectrum crowd could have turned on them to the point where people started sort of rushing the stage. And the security was kind of like half acidly doing its job, like kind of picking people off, but kind of letting them through. And at one point, Lane Staley picked up his mic and was using like not like like the bottom end of it to like like fend people off wow and then he I, I guess i can't really repeat what he but he but i remember him saying i wonder if there's video of this somewhere i remember him just like sort of stopping after they got three or four songs in and just saying like are do you is there cursing on this show yeah absolutely do it, do it just like do. just like f you philadelphia you're a bunch of blanks and at that point the crowd was kind of like okay maybe this guy's all right after all you know <laughs> kind of like he won him over yeah. And then, uh, you know, you watch them blow up and you're like, I saw them like I didn't mean to. That wasn't right. the point of the of the show. But I, I can always say it was probably one of probably very few people, I would say, have, have seen Alice in Chains live. Right. Because he died I mean, with Lane Staley because he died so young. They were notorious for not touring. I think yeah. Lane, Lane hated touring. And I think that was kind of, that's kind of why the mystique of their unplugged is so like. Yeah, I, I get chills yeah. whenever I watch that. Yeah, I think part of it too is they were trying to keep him off the road because they knew he would just get strung out on heroin. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. they, they couldn't watch him if he was on tour, you know, it's harder. Interesting. Well, I, I, I consider myself lucky, although I'm sure that I wasn't like, these guys are brilliant. I'm sure I was like, shut up. We want to hear jump. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it. So, you know, from 96 on, like you hadn't seen them since. What's it like, you know, uh, just kind of, have you been intaking shows? Have you been listening to bootlegs? Like how have you gotten your fix from Pearl Jam uh, yeah. since the Randall's Island show? So the, 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 they were, I think the first band, correct me if I'm wrong, but to really make their live stuff widely available, right? Yes. Uh, to the public, like Grateful Dead stuff was available, but oh, right, right. you know, I think through kind of the tape trading means, and then they made stuff, you know, available yeah. over time. But yes, in 2000, Pearl Jam made everything. They just opened the vault. And mm -hmm. I love that about them because you can take a song that you love and, and, you know, just, just try it out. Yeah. I just pick one at random, you know, like if you go, Oh, let me hear this song and you can just go, Oh, I'll listen to the, I'm making this up, you know, the, the September, you know, 14th, 1998. And there's so many interesting varieties in there. One of the things about Pearl Jam, you guys are probably just old enough to remember this but there were certain record stores, not the Sam Goody's, not the Tower Records. There was independent record stores. There was one called like, oh gosh, am I going to get it wrong? How could I? Like there were two or three, you know, in little shopping malls that would sell bootlegs, illegal bootlegs. And I'm talking like when they came out. Yep. And they were wicked expensive. Like they would be like $45 for a oh, double. at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And so I owned a handful of them um, back then. I was willing to pay for them. And it was like, but that's a that's a big ticket item if you're going right. to buy one. And I, mean, I like think no fucking Messiah or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they would all have the, they have the little names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and now, and it was a little bit of a bummer, not a bummer, but it's, you know, kids today, right? Think of the effort you used to have to go through to get a live track, right? And then, and then there was a way to dub it and like you could copy a CD onto a tape and all this. They don't have that experience now. You know, they're kind of spoiled. They can just go on Spotify or whatever. But, but through the breadth of their live stuff has allowed me to just, you know, hear things in a, in a different way. But there's times when I'm just like, give me that, give me that album track. Like I just want the produced, you know, full blast version, but they don't, they don't lose a damn thing. I mean, they're, they're just, you know, they're better live. I mean, there's no substitute for seeing them live. And by the way, speaking of when COVID is over, right. And when they play their first show, which I'm sure you two will be at, the two of you, not the group. You trying to, oh, yeah. Danny and John, us, and, us and everyone else. Yeah. But let me put, but you guys will find a way. You guys should get special access or something. But what is the first song they should play post COVID at their Uh, first show? See, yeah, this is something that I would love to, I would love to ask Ed if he has thought about this. And I don't want him to tell me what it's going to be, but I would love to know if he's thought about what that first song back is going to be. I think it's going to be Long Road. Yeah, that's, Uh, that's my gut instinct is it's, it's Long Road. That could be. It feels a little on the nose, but yeah. I get and it. It might be like this three song of long road into release into yeah. river cross even river, could be river cross present tense. Yeah. Couldn't, like, couldn't even alive be part of that. I mean, again, talk about on sure. the nose, but sure. Yeah. I think all of, all of the songs that you would expect to be played yeah. would be played at that show. And it wouldn't feel like a greatest hit show or anything like that. Right. They would just find a way to make everything work, and oh, you know, it's, it's going to be one of the most meaningful shows they've ever played when they come back. And hundred percent. Can you imagine though? I know it's so like obvious, but can you just imagine if, if that mo- when that moment happens, if they just open with the riff from Alive? Like, wouldn't you pass out? Oh, <laughs> wow, uh, that would be something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that would be that would be one of the all time great performances of Alive. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. But it it would also make sense too because it would kind of bring the crowd together, and it's kind of a message to everybody it's that we're all here together. It would, it would have to be a ninety minute version of Alive, like they wouldn't be able to stop. <laughs> Just hey, chance throughout the like forty yeah. minutes long. <laughs> like, so, how do you once you start? How do you stop playing that song? Uh, right, exactly. It's at hard this to, point. Yeah, no, what, right. What what would song two be? So, so let me ask you guys this also because you guys have such such a depth of knowledge. What is a song that I, as you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a fan, a long time fan, you know, as since, you know, going back decades, but I don't have the sort of deep, deep knowledge you have. What is a song like a guy like me would not know of that I should check out when I'm done with this? I'll let you go. First, Love, Boat, Love Boat Captain. Say it I again, John. I... Love Boat Captain. Love Boat Captain? From Riot Act. I don't know that. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. See, I thought John was going to say of the earth, but. That's one of the earth is very good. That's yeah, a but... very, very deep cut for somebody that kind of likes the, the building songs and the songs that kind of soar. Yeah, uh, you'll dig it. That's like that. not a song that they ever produced a studio version of. It's only been played live. Huh. So of and, the earth. Yeah. But it's incredible. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of more like 2000 era songs that I can uh, uh, inside job would be a really good one. Okay. Yeah. Would, yeah. All right, I'm gonna uh, go Love Boat Captain and Inside Job, and I'll tell you guys. Yo, you'll be I'm impressed. Like, okay. Those are those are two of the two of the modern classics, the later era classics. Absolutely. Have you taken in the new record at all, or no? I have not. What's what do you guys think of it? Like it? I yeah. I really like it. Yeah, much I, I, better than the last two. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we're coming on, you know, just a little almost a year now that uh, that the record's been out, and it's just kind of felt weird that. We haven't seen anything live from it because by this point, yeah, you kind of know which songs are sticking with you because of of how you intake the live live tracks. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Nobody has played. It's it's a crazy thing. Um, what's what's well, the best track off it? John and I probably have differing opinions on this. Yeah, we probably do. I like see. I like some of the the kind of the more mid tempo stuff on there. I like retrograde. River Cross, Buckle Up, All Right. Some of the more kind of moodier, kind of slower stuff on there. Okay. 
Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the straight up rock and roll stuff. Quick Escape is fantastic. Whoever said is a really good way to open the album. Something I didn't love at first, but really kind of grew on me. Yep. Uh, and even Dance of the Clairvoyance, I've, you know, I thought by this time, and again, maybe it's the, the, the factor that I haven't seen it live because a song like Mind Your Manners is one that I loved right away. And then you see it live every single show because they're promoting the album. You're okay, a little right. tired, of, but, uh, tired of it by now. But a year later, and I really still love Dance of the Clairvoyance. It's just this weird, you know, highly produced, really well-produced song that kind of sounds like a talking head song. Sounds like a whole different, huh. whole mess of things. So yeah, I would check that out because that's okay. It. I don't think there's any other song like it in, in, in their catalog. You're saying there's this group Pearl Jam. I should check out their new. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, okay, no, maybe I'll try it. What is we're, what is you guys' relationship with uh, with Hunger Strike? Like, is that canon? <laughs> Does that count? And and let me just tell you guys, I always misunderstood that song, in that I thought for most of my life, probably until I I don't know until I saw the documentary or something. In my perception, Hunger Strike always was like a super group that they formed after they were both huge. They were like, as a goof or whatever, the two of them were like, you know, Cornell and, and Eddie were like, let's get together. Let's combine. Let's just have fun. But of course I'm sure, you know, you guys well know it, it really predates any of, of Pearl Jam's big stuff. It It's funny because Temple of the Dog was being recorded in Ed's first week first or second week up in Seattle. Right. So while they're, you know, getting stuff rehearsed like alive and even flow, um, they call him in and Chris, Chris Cornell, obviously they, they, he meets him the first week and Chris is like, Hey, do you want to sing along with me on this song? Sure. And it seemed to work out really well. Yeah. yeah that That's his first appearance on a record. Right. Right. Um, does it count? Is it is it part of Pearl Jam canon, so to speak? It's part of the canon, but it, it's not Pearl Jam per se. It's because right. they've played it live with with Cornell and without Cornell. Uh, they played it with um, uh, Corn Tucker from Slater Kinney, Bren Birdwell from Band of Horses. So they, mm-hmm. they as Pearl Jam have played it live, but they've also invited Chris to, to play it with them uh, like at BJ 20. So uh, it, yeah, it's, it's almost like hard. part of their, part of their prehistory almost. It's right. It's one of the, like the building blocks that made Pearl Jam, you know? And then, and then um, another one that I've, I, that always was sort of kind of lost because it was never really on an album was state of love and trust, which again, I don't know where that, because it's, it's on singles of course, but like, right. I don't know where that falls exactly in that early chronology. It, yeah, it's it's like it's mid 1992. It's it's right when they were the hottest band on the planet, and yeah, it, it's right there. Like, so they already thought, were established. Oh yeah, well, I, I, well they I they started playing time, it in they started playing it in July of 91. Right. So it was one of the first songs they wrote probably after 10 was recorded. Okay, that that makes sense. Sort of the way it sounds, all of that. Yeah, and, um, and breath, which was also on singles, yeah. was yes. that was yes. a, that was another week one song that they had. That, that that's the best soundtrack ever, right? There's no, there's no, yeah, 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 I would think so. I mean, yeah, from, it's up there. Oh my god, they what, what's on? All right, so Drown, right, from Smashing Pumpkins is yep. on there. Mm-hmm. That um, Smashing Pumpkins song, the song from uh, 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 Mudhoney, Wood, on there, right? Wood from Alice Wood, in Chains, Overblown, uh, Wood, uh, Birth uh, Ritual, Soundgarden, Crown of Thorns, Nearly Thorns, Lost You by Screaming oh, Trees, right, right. yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, nearly lost you. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. God, that's good. All right. I'm listening to that tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What did you choose for your wish list? Okay. Let me think. And they had, they had these specifications about you could only do a certain number, right? Two or three live tracks. At first I gave them more live tracks. Oh, I did all live tracks. Oh no. They told me they only wanted two or three live tracks. Mm, Really? Yeah. I started with, I started with release. Um, and I wanted it from the show I told you guys about, but they said like the, the, the soundboard wasn't good enough or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah it has to be an official. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. They, they, there's they only certain. It. Yeah. Um, then I went with porch, the album track, like I just told you guys, uh, footsteps. Um, I said, any track can be the studio version state of love and trust from the spectrum in Philly, the closing series in the spectrum in, in mm-hmm. 2009. Um, these guys are so good. For some reason, I thought the date I gave them was the final concert in Philly. And these guys go, no, no, no. That's actually the first night of the final four night closer. I was like, man, you guys are I'm talking about encyclopedic. Um, and the kid oh, just yeah. said it to me. The producer just knew it off the top of his head. Uh, Rearview Mirror from the 
show. No. Oh, rearview mirror from the Randall's Island show. Okay. Um, then just breathe from Austin city limits in 2009. That's a good one. Yep. Yep. Just breathe. I, again, I, I acknowledge is fairly obvious, but, and then I closed. Oh, and this was, this is my Jersey, the Eddie uh, cover of growing up, um, which he, which he did city, right? No, the, uh, the one, well, I asked for, gosh, which one did they use? I asked for the one he just did just this Christmas. He did the Matter of Time one oh, from the EP. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, if you're going to take on growing up, that is like the national anthem of New Jersey. And <laughs> like, you best not F that up. And it's hard. And there have been crappy versions out there. Not, not by Bruce, God forbid. But other people have tried to do it and it's embarrassment. But Eddie... You know, not only nailed it, but he even elevated it in a, a little bit. I don't say that to belittle Springsteen, you know, um, but that uh, the first time I heard that, I just my jaw was on the floor. Just he felt that song. He didn't just cover it. You know, he felt oh, yeah. that. So that is oh, yeah. a- I, I, I got to see Ed solo in 2009 and he did me and Bobby Jean. And it was one of the highlights of the show. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a uh, they're they're good with the covers. What's I mean, the, the cover that always gives me chills when I see him do it is of uh, uh, is it Chloe Dancer. Is that what is that the song? Yeah. The, yeah. Crown of Thorns and Chloe Dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, yeah. the clip of him doing that the first time. And I don't know if it's the only time, but the first time he did that is yeah, like yeah, yeah, the anniversary show. Yeah. It's the anniversary of Andrew Wood's death, is it? The, the, uh, tenth, tenth, the 10th anniversary. 10th anniversary of, of the band. Of Pearl Jam's first show. Yeah. Oh, their first show. But, but they've, uh, they've played it probably 20 or 30 times since then. Yeah. The, re- the reason Eddie is so good at covering is because he doesn't cover, it seems to me he doesn't cover anything lightly. And it seems like he thinks about it and what does it mean to me? Yeah. And you can see that with the Andrew Wood cover and you can see it with the growing up cover as well. Yeah. yeah, I saw them do it in 2016, and afterwards he went over and like gave Jeff a hug and like gave yeah. Stone a hug, and like, man, even 26 years later, he still feels it, and like they, it's still a big moment for them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he still feels a little bit like a Seattle outsider, right? Because he was the new kid, right? So. Yeah, right. For sure. Not for to sure. psychoanalyze too much. <laughs> <laughs> what's the What's the best venue that you all have seen them at? Fenway, Wrigley, Wrigley Field. Wrigley? Yeah, I mean, I always go back to Madison Square Garden. That, that's my home, you know. Yeah. That's uh, that's my home base. I've seen them there five times. Uh, but I've been to both Fenway and Wrigley as well. I, I would say that Wrigley was more, felt like there was more of a mystique than Fenway did. And maybe it's because uh-huh. I've, I've, I saw them at Fenway all four times that they played there. Right. So it it kind of wore off after a little while. Um, but right. yeah, yeah, Fen- uh, Wrigley is fantastic. Like, they're yeah. going to end up playing there again at some point in the future find yourself there because it's going to be an amazing experience yeah did you have plans to see them on this gigaton tour before it got canceled no i mean you know now that i it it didn't occur to me but my god i will you know it's going to be impossible to get tickets when when they come back but I, i i i have had like a re you know a reignition with them over the last six eight months so i i am all in do they do they go down in history? You know how like when a guy goes in the Hall of Fame, you go, "What hat's he gonna wear if he played for like two teams?" Do they go down in history as a as a, a Seattle band or or a Chicago band or a Montana band? Like Seattle, one hundred percent Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. it's one hundred percent Seattle. Like they have roots in San Diego and Chicago and like but Amen. Montana. I mean, Amen's from Montana, but Amen right. and Gossard with the whole scene. Oh, and and they do such a good job of whenever they go to those locations, making it feel like they are hometown shows. Like they, yeah. you know, you wouldn't think how many bands actually go and play Missoula, Montana. Not right. very many, but when they do go there, they're playing at like the Grizzly Stadium. Like that's yeah. a big show for them, and yeah. it's usually a show like Jeff will make the set list, and uh, it'll be a pretty big deal. That's awesome. I have two quick parent concert stories for you. My mom, who is a 71 year old, you know, Jewish woman, great, wonderful mother, saw Hendrix live when she was like a teenager. Did he open for the monkeys? (laughs) I don't know. That's a legit story. Yeah. My my friend's mom, Matt's mom (laughs) went and saw Hendrix open up for the monkeys. Oh, he was booed. (laughs) <laughs> right. He's booed out of the stadium. Listen, it's like Lane Staley opening up for Van Halen. They're not there That's to right. see. They're there to right. see the damn monkeys. Right. Same <laughs> idea. Yeah, that is insane. And my dad, who is was a you know a, a little more of a gritty guy, a rock and roll guy. He was at Woodstock, the original Woodstock. Wow. 
And hmm. he, he just said basically like, you know, uh, his roommates were like, there's some concert on a farm upstate. Let's go. And he said he like woke up one morning and I guess the guy he was with had left or gone with a girl or something. And he like his friend left a note stuck on a stick in the mud saying like, went towards the medical shed or something. <laughs> you know, it's equivalent the, the 1969 equivalent of texting, I guess. Wow. But uh, yeah, my dad was at the original Woodstock. So he has some street cred, I guess. I, th- I think we touched up on everything. That was, yeah. that was great. I mean, um, uh, is there one, I'm going to ask you one question. Is there one song for you? And we talked a little bit about release, but is there one yeah. song that really sticks out as the one I like to say that there are songs that define us as fans. And like, I have Brain of Jay that really, I think is always been my song. John's is in my tree. We have a couple mm-hmm. other yeah. friends of ours that we attribute songs to. Is there one, do you think that you can attribute yourself to as saying like, this one is mine. Like if, if you want anybody to know you by a song, which, which would it be? The, the one that, that hits me that it really hits home for me lyrically and, and, and the overall just tone of it is porch. Um, and again, I know it's popular. I know it's not like a deep, deep cut. It's a, it's maybe a second layer cut or something, but just the, the hear my name part. And that when he swings into that chorus, like, I don't know that anything quite hits me like that. And, and at the end, I, I just like, you know, when he, when he's just sort of like, letting it go at the end of that song, right? Never again. I mean, man, um, something about that, something about the like, I don't know, that that almost like defiant, here I am, this is me, hear my name, you know, I'll take a good look, this could be the day. That that speaks to me uh, really also, loud. You're, you're starting that song, what the fuck is this world? I like, love that. That's... <laughs> That what catches you right away, right? Coming to you, and, you're right. Leave and still message. one of their one of their best live songs, still after 30 years. Oh, yep. It's 100 percent always gonna yep. be played in, in some kind of closing role, either the main set closer or encore closer, wherever it is. Yeah, yeah. That that that's the one I'm I'm gonna go with. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, this was really fun, guys. Thanks so much. I I, I really oh, like listening to you. I, yeah, I thank love, you. I really love and appreciate your, your passion for this. I think it's, it's so energizing. Um, you're going to get me back on a deeper kick than, than I've been in a, in a long time, <laughs> but uh, it's great to listen to you. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for Ellie for coming on here. And oh man, that was, that was great. And I, obviously oh, fantastic. He, he hasn't been to a show since 1996 we, we got to get him to a show. We got to get him somewhere. Absolutely. Because like he's, it seems like he's, he's just, it seems like he's craving he's it. over. He's overdue. Yeah. He's absolutely overdue for something like this. So yeah, we give him all the props in the world and he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got a podcast and a book. Why don't you tell him about that? Yeah. His book comes out in July. It's called hatchet man. How bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code. If you're interested in the kind of the legal side of politics, I'm sure that'll be a great read comes out in July. And you can also listen to his podcast. It's called third degree. I'm sure you can find that wherever you found us. So yeah, yeah, check that out. And, and yeah, give, give him a follow on Twitter. I think it's just his name, Ellie Honig. So yeah, check him out there. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he'd, he'd love to talk Pearl Jam with you. Absolutely. And uh, hey, if you liked us and you want to help us and contribute to us and what we're doing, Live on Four Legs podcast is on Patreon. So head on over to Patreon if you want to support the show a little bit. Uh, We have three different tiers. If you want to listen to our exclusive episodes, we just did about a week ago, we did an episode on present tense and kind of going through the live evolution of the song and looking into how it changed from, you know, 1996 until what what we know of it today and we've done that for a lot of songs those are our favorite things to do over on our patreon account if you want to head over there patreon.com slash live on four legs to help contribute to the show and what we're doing over here and we're trying to get to 100 people we're trying because once we get to 100 we're going to throw a massive party for all the Pearl Jam fans out there. So it's good stuff to look forward to. And uh, look, we'll have an episode coming out this week uh, for Chicago 1992 to look forward to. And that should be very exciting. Uh, But until then, 
hey, I think we we said it all in there. Like this could be the day, right? Like the passion that comes from from porch. I think we're gonna we're gonna close with a little porch here. Why the hell not? Because it's just fantastic. And he's his passion for it made me want to just listen to the original version. So we're gonna <laughs> just play a little snippet of your of it right here for you. So. Uh, this may be the end we're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And thanks to Ellie again for coming in and sharing his Pearl Jam story. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? to you, didn't leave a message at least I could have learned your voice one last time. Daily minds you this could be my time by you. Would you hit me? Would you hit me? Oh,